Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. This is genuinely an example across the political spectrum working together in the public interest and not considering partisan politics at all. And I think that that is reflected in that the comprehensive nature of the recommendations. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. Welcome back to Australian Politics. Today I'm joined by Peter Murphy, Chair of the House Standing Committee on Social Affairs. I've asked Peter in today to discuss the gambling ad inquiry that was just completed and the recommendations to move towards a comprehensive ban on ads for online gambling. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. Now, what scale of harm did the committee inquiry find and why did you think that that justified moving to a total ban on ads for online gambling? We heard a lot of evidence, people's lived experience, um, public health experts and researchers, about not just the types of harm that people can and do experience from online gambling, which ranges from spending more than a person to spending someone's entire savings. We heard from a witness who significantly embezzled from clients in order to um, pay for his online gambling debts to mental health issues, physical health issues as a result of the stress of not being able to deal with gambling. Um, and really disturbingly, we heard from the family uh, of a young person who took their own life mm. at the age of early 20s because they couldn't control. We also heard that Australians are world champions. I'm not sure it's a championship we want to win, gamblers. So, Australians not only gamble more online um, and gamble more in general per capita than any other country in the world, itself possibly isn't a problem, but we lose more money gambling online per capita than any other country in the world. So there's those harms. And then we also heard a lot of evidence about the harm that caused, which is perhaps more visceral and slightly harder to quantify, which is the generation of Australians who are being brought up to believe that gambling and sport are intrinsically linked and that sport becomes not much more than content for gambling and that gambling is something that everyone does all of the time, um, which just mm. isn't the case. For listeners who may not be familiar, what are the four factors a gambling ad ban. So the committee, and um, I might take this opportunity to point out that the House of Representatives Social Affairs and Social Policy and Legal Affairs Committee has Liberal members, National Party members, Labor Party members, and, and it was a unanimous report where everyone agreed on not just the content of the report but all of the recommendations. Recommended, you're right, a four-phase 
step to get to a complete banning of all ads, television, radio, for online gambling, starting with things that are not easy, but perhaps easier to implement. For example, banning advertising um, that is targeted advertising on social media. So targeted, for example, Facebook, pop-up advertising um, on YouTube, banning inducements where um, a person is offered two-for-one bets, for example, or bet $1,000 and we'll give you $1,000 worth of free bets, which we heard are an insane way of keeping problem gamblers gambling. Um, mm. And then moving through to further restricting the time that am, ads can be played before and after live sport during the day, restricting ads not being on the radio during time of school through to then saying, well, gambling ads should only be allowed to be played between the hours of 10pm and 6am and then the final stage of a complete ban. We did it in a staged way, which we think is because we do understand that broadcasters, sporting organisations, advertising companies currently are quite reliant in different ways on revenue from gambling companies and that there are contractual obligations which need through. We didn't want to have a knee-jerk reaction to say everything must change tomorrow, but everything must change. And we tried to lay out a roadmap for a government about how you might get there. Mm -hmm. Now, the three-year phase in period ad ban, uh, it's getting attacked from Free TV Australia, which notes broadcasters have deals which are longer than three years. Uh, and then in the other direction, uh, from the crossbench, the Greens want to ban in uh, head of footy finals and Zoe Daniels says three years is too long. Is the Goldilocks point for you? And is there any leeway to, to make that longer or shorter? I feel like, Paul, it's not a bad thing to to have landed in a position that both extreme sides of an argument um, say goes to enough. Look, we didn't want as a committee to say you can push it off into the never-never. We wanted to be clear that our recommendation ultimately is a complete ban, but we were conscious because we were anxious to make sure that the air broadcasters, for example, about the impact on them that there will be contractual issues, looking for alternate sources of income and, you know, other perhaps unintended consequences that will need to be worked through. We do see the report that there may well be exceptional circumstances which mean it may need to be the final phase longer than three years, which would be, for example, contracts which absolutely couldn't be um, broken. So we've tried to be reasonable about it, but say this is not an opportunity to kick it off into the long grass. It's an opportunity to do it in a way that will have long-term positive impact, like what happened when tobacco advertising was banned. Mm. Uh, now, Free TV Australia has said viewers will be the losers and proposed an alternative system of a cap on the frequency of ads. Uh, is that something you considered and what do you make of that uh, counter-proposal? Look, Free to Air TV gave evidence to say that um, interestingly they tried to assert that it would be sport which perhaps would be cut from free-to-air tv which we as a committee did challenge because why if there was some hit to revenue why would sport be the thing that would have to be cut um, emphasize this in what has become an intrinsic and insidious link between gambling money and sport which is what our mm -hmm. constituents are telling us 
they want broken. Whilst we are reasonable um, committee that there will be an impact, it doesn't have to be the case that it would be such a negative impact that free-to-air TV as we know it would cease to exist. We believe, as has happened before, as I said, for example, with tobacco advertising, sources of revenue can be found and that ultimately if broadcasters and government have to make a choice between relying on money from an industry that we know can and does cause harm advertising and taking a public health approach which protects some of our most vulnerable Australians, including children and those addicted to gambling from further harm, that we can choose a public health approach which also makes sure has a, a life in Australia. And what sort of financial impact uh, did they say that it would have on them? Because uh, they're already asking for compensation of, of a kind in saying that uh, the government should remove spectrum fees if you're going to uh, take the Is it a big hit to their bottom line? Well, Paul, it was a very interesting um, and slightly contentious public hearing when public broadcasting gave evidence before our committee because they were disinclined to provide the committee that supported the assertion that it would be a significant hit to their advertising revenue, which meant that they couldn't continue to broadcast a whole range of things like local news and sport that we see part of free-to-air TV and, by the way, is legislated content. But they also wanted to argue at the same time that the suggestions that there is an overwhelming um, number of gambling ads on television are overblown and aren't accurate. I found it difficult to reconcile evidence that said, on the one hand, there's not that many ads and the suggestion there's too many ads is overblown and if you restrict the ads, it will be the end of our industry. They don't seem particularly consistent um, positions. But we accept absolutely that there would be some hit, but not a hit that we don't think couldn't, couldn't be managed. And is, is compensating them part of the way that it could be managed, removing spectrum fees or...? Well, I think things like spectrum fees um, is, say, that's a matter for a government um, to deal with. And that's also, to, to be really serious about it, one of the reasons that we didn't take a knee-jerk reaction that says tomorrow the blanket ban has to come in. Whilst many, if not most Australians, blanket ban tomorrow, um, we understand as a committee that it is quite a complicated um, space to get to and we wanted to give the government, if they would accept our recommendations, the able to work with stakeholders and negotiate about what getting to that final point looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, online gambling is only one form of gambling. Does the report have much to say about, you know, in-person at a TAB or gambling on pokey machines? Are those the sorts of things that would be tackled by a national anti-gambling strategy? We didn't look at pokies and terrestrial gambling um, because it wasn't in our terms of reference and it's not in our terms of reference. It's not something that the federal government has sort of direct constitutional responsibility for, whereas things like the the regulation of online gambling, particularly through the Interactive Gambling Act, is something that the Commonwealth has some direct responsibility for, has some responsibility with the states. Um, there were witnesses and organisations 
um, who, when they asked for a national harm reduction strategy, said it should cover all forms of gambling, but our committee were really restricted to looking at on. Uh, and we think that's a pretty big job for the federal government to take on in conjunction with the states and territories as it is, and we'd really like to see them focus on that um, at least as a as a starting point to, in the immediate to short to medium term. Uh, the report talks about a levy on wagering service providers to fund harm reduction and a public information campaign. Uh, how big uh, should those programs of harm reduction and, and the info campaign be and, and how big should the levy be? Education and harm reduction campaigns which touch all ages and all parts of society. So one of the reasons we why we suggested as really the umbrella recommendation, everyone's focused on advertising, but really the umbrella recommendation is a strategy with public health approach at the heart of it, was because we want to see an approach that says, let's prevent harm before it starts. Let's be able to intervene early if it looks like someone's suffering um, or harm or are suffering harm, and let's have better services for people who are experiencing harm to help them to overcome their addiction or deal with the harm that they're experiencing. And an education campaign, a harm reduction campaign, has to And if we are to have a national harm reduction strategy and a national regulator, which is also what we have recommended, then the national regulator should have oversight of that national strategy. And the committee members also thought that it was reasonable that when you have an which of course doesn't want people to experience harm, and we don't think that they do, and an industry where, of course, not everyone who gambles experiences harm, but an industry which can and does cause harm, which has an impact across economic um, status in this country, that that industry should contribute to stopping and mitigating the harm, and that's why we recommended a levy. How big that levy should be, I think that's a matter for for discussion and negotiation between and government if it's a recommendation that is taken up in the way that we hope it is. Mm-hmm. And now the report calls for a few new structures. Uh, the national regulator, which you've just mentioned, it also calls for a, a gambling ombudsman. Uh, it also talks about responsible for gambling. At the moment, I think it's at least two, social services and communications. What's the issue at the moment with the way it's regulated and the, and the division of responsibilities? So interestingly, even the uh, wagering service provider submission identified at least 26 different regulatory regimes that they have to comply with. And that's a lot <laughs> uh, for any industry. And we think that it would be a benefit to harm reduction but also make the industry more efficient in the way it runs if really there was one regulator. Now, that requires buy-in from the states and territories as well to work with the federal government um, in order to say, yes, there should be one regulator. But that would be a much better way, we believe, at setting high regulatory standards and ensuring that no matter where these companies are located across Australia, they have to comply with the same standards. Otherwise, there is the risk of a race to the bottom from witnesses who suggest that at the moment there has been a race to the bottom to get licensed and regulated in the territory which has, for some people, the easiest regime, which at the moment is the Northern Now, I hope that answers your Mm. question, Paul. I may have gone off on a tangent there, but... 
No, no, that that does answer the question. I, I, I'm going to just uh, double-check, though, who should get the Guernsey between uh, Minister uh, Michelle Rowland and Amanda Rishworth in terms of who should be in charge? I think you know me better than would, would wade into any sort of... Uh, uh, discussion. We'll, we'll call it a discussion um, about which who should be the minister. <laughs> but but which does it sit in more comfortably, social services or communications? Look, it, the interesting thing is at the moment, production predominantly, although not exclusively, falls within social services um, and funding for financial counsellors, um, for example, and those sorts of services comes through social services, whereas responsibility for the broadcasting uh, falls within the communications um, minister. My personal view, and this is my personal view, is that um, one minister, and it doesn't have to be their entire portfolio, but one minister with with responsibility makes more sense than it being split between those two. So it wouldn't have to be a communications minister or a social services minister. It could be a minister for other things as well as online harm reduction, um, gambling harm reduction, for example. Um, because that then facilitates that coordinated strategic approach. One of the recommendations talks about consideration of uh, providing real-time data to the regulator. Is there going to be somebody uh, sitting there with a... With saying, oh, no, Paul's transferred $300 to his sports bet account, you know, maybe he's going off the rails? What's, what's the idea here? I don't know, Paul. Um, well, <laughs> uh, unless unless you'd like that to happen. So interestingly, Sportsbet gave evidence, and this is one of the things they have been working on to mitigate harm, that they've developed an algorithm which, in effect, they say can do that for their customers. So if you were a Sportsbet customer um, and your betting pattern changed from what you had previously engaged in or was significantly different from what would be expected from someone of your age, general income, general socioeconomic status, red flags would appear. It's better to either say, you need to stop betting and we want to talk to you about whether you have a problem, or just ring and say, we're, we're a bit worried your betting is, is bringing up red flags. As a committee, we think that that has great potential be used across different um, wagering service providers and even by government in a de-identified way that means that a government can see a regulator, an independent regulator, so not a minister, not a government, but an independent regulator can see the patterns in a de-identified way of gambling across Australia to be able to identify where problems are emerging and what issues are. We heard some evidence that something like that is happening in um, and Germany and they call them data vaults and it may well be that their regulators have identified data, not de-identified data. We as a committee didn't feel that we had quite enough evidence to say whether that is working in, the in Australia, but we certainly feel it's something that the Australian government should be looking at and monitoring how it's working overseas and then looking at whether this algorithm that sports bet has worked on is something that could be used as part of bet stop when in a de-identified way to as I say be able to more quickly see where problems across society are emerging. Would you really trust the wagering service provider to develop the algorithm though or is it something that you would want to impose on them with a 
make sure that it really is catching all the all the problem gamblers? Well, our, our recommendations include that there could be a requirement on all wagering service providers to, to use that sort of tool. I'm very happy to take sports bet on this point on there, develop something that they say is effective, and they did offer to share it with their competitors and to provide it to government. So it can be interrogated if that was to happen for how effective it is and whether it's working. Mm-hmm. When gambling the laws at the moment, they're subject to fines that are minuscule in comparison to the, the huge turnover that they, they earn from the wagering to begin with. Is the ban going to be effective unless it's backed up by heftier fines? Oh, I think that's right. And that's recommended moving to a national regulator. Uh, firstly, so that that penalties are consistent across the entire country, that there's a regulator actually um, with powers that are preemptive powers as well to conduct sure that uh, companies are complying with whatever the regulations are and that it has a suite of penalties which are both a deterrent effect and an appropriate punishment. Um, One of the possibilities, of course, is that if significant enough fines breaches, hopefully it would stop all breaches, but if it didn't, that money could also then go back into the regulator for harm reduction measures. Mm-hmm. Now, the the government uh, of which you're a member has said that it will consider the... Amanda Rishworth has said it provides an important evidence base for future action, but how important is it to you personally that they adopt these recommendations and the report in full? I'm, I'm personally very keen... Um, for the government to comprehensively go through these 31 recommendations and look at the significant law reform that comes from it. I, as somebody who spent my entire life involved in sport, as a, both as an athlete and a coach and an administrator, and with my constituents' concerns about the impact on sport of gambling, um, the evidence that we heard from brave, brave people publicly telling the committee about the worst things that have ever happened to them and their families in their lives because of gambling, not to help themselves but to try to stop it from happening to someone else, can't do anything other than move a person to say, I want to be part of reforming this. I think that Minister Rishworth referring on behalf of the to us in September last year was a really positive and strong sign of and intent for this government to be strong on harm reduction. And it's why, as the chair, I was really pleased with the unanimous every member of this committee to say, let's get an evidence base that backs up the strongest recommendations. No fanciful recommendations that aren't backed up with evidence, no knee-jerk reactions, but evidence-based recommendations that can for a solid body of law reform over the next few years, and I would be incredibly proud if it was implemented. Hmm. Now, there are a few other bills in the Parliament, Zoe Daniels' private member's bill and the Coalition have a private uh, that they're threatening to try and pass with Greens' support. Do you think we'll get some government legislation in time for the next sitting so that it'll be clear uh, what the government's proposal is by then? Well, the next sitting um, is in about four weeks. Us. Um, what I would say about the bills that are in the parliament at the moment, with all due respect to the proponents, who um, I think most of them have a really genuine commitment to reform in this area, is that they don't do what our recommendations do. 
a comprehensive roadmap. They are smaller interventions here and there. And what we as a committee were really, really conscious to do is not have a bunch of smaller interventions, but have a bunch of interventions that worked together to get results and to try to stop unintended consequences from happening. So whilst there's been talk about banning ads an hour before and an hour after a as a committee, we agree with that, but we agree with it as part of a phased approach, not as a end in and of itself, for example. I think that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for taking us through uh, that, that report. It's a huge achievement, so uh, thank you for putting that together. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, you can probably hear from my voice. It is something that I have become increasingly passionate about and I just want to pay tribute to two groups of people if I can. One is, as I said, evidence um, about their lived experience. I cannot overstate how important their evidence was and their bravery. And also to the other members of the committee, this is genuinely an example of people from across the political spectrum working with interest and not considering partisan politics at all. And I think that that is reflected in that the comprehensive nature of the recommendations. A lovely note to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Daniel Simo. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Australian Politics. See you then. Hey, Jane Lee here. I'm one of the hosts of Full Story. And I want to tell you about a way you can catch up on some of The Guardian's award-winning journalism. It's in print and it gets delivered to your door no matter where you are in Australia. The Guardian Weekly magazine is our global news magazine, which features in-depth articles, including pics from Guardian Australia's editors. It comes out once a week and it can help you make sense of a busy news cycle. You can currently sign up and buy your first 12 issues for $12. That's just a dollar an issue. But this offer won't be around forever, so go and subscribe today at theguardian.com forward slash weekly Australia. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.